0: What's up, dudes? So this is going to be a little new thing for me, but I just came up, came upon this news article and it looked pretty interesting. I kind of scrolled through, saw how long it was. I haven't actually read it yet, um, but I decided I was just going to read it aloud and uh, maybe comment it on before or after. It's um, called, I fell down the alt-right rabbit hole. Eventually I climbed my way out by Justin Brown Ramsey. It's in Jacobin. Um, And this really caught my eye. One thing I talk about a lot, but my relationship with the internet and with social media and with the ways that intersect with the real world um, has really radically shifted ever since the pandemic. And I think a lot of people could probably relate to that. Um, At least for me, I was also working on a night shift and living alone. And so I talk about this all the time, but the internet, my phone became the place that everyone lived all my friends all my family like um and so it just made me rethink like i was already spending a lot of time in the internet i'm definitely a pretty online person um but it really made me realize that uh well if i'm gonna be here i might as well do it a little more socially like i had been just a lurker which is fine that's the way i've learned a lot of people use the internet and it's a pretty common thing um, but when I did that, it kind of made me like use when I was a kid using the internet felt kind of separate, it's this other world. Um, and especially just like watching stuff and learning things, um, it's interesting just like where you spend your time and what you choose to focus on or whatever the algorithm gives you up. I'm very always been very fascinated by the ways that intersects with, uh, just your worldview and your ideology and what you know and what you think and the the perspective of reality that you have. Um, and so when I started like thinking more about the Internet, I really realized like, oh, all these other people that were just usernames or Twitter usernames or just people on Reddit, like mainly it's the same kind of people. I'm already like it's just my friends. Basically, it's just like the community. And um, so the Internet felt like this very alien and like this thing that was just for me. And then all these names on the screen. Um, But it turns out, no, it's just been all of us all the time. And people maybe act different on the Internet or do different things um, or spend their time in ways that you would be surprised by. Um, And so anyway, I really thought about this a lot because then that kind of gave me the realization in a way that I hadn't fully digested yet that like, Oh, and also those really ugly, mean, hateful places, the internet. That's also us. That's not some stranger. That's not some, Oh yeah. All those people like that just not too many or just a few like weirdos like the manosphere basically and the further right, further anti feminist areas of the internet. It's like, oh, yeah, that was also just the people I was around. And, um, I know it's something that, like, some guys you could kind of tell that they were like big incel vibes or what do they even call themselves back then? I think that was before incel really became a thing. Um, just anti feminist type type thing um anyway wow i'm already losing my train of thought here (laughs) uh anyway so just realizing that it kind of put in perspective like that yeah um misogyny and these kind of views are something that's held by a lot of people including my peers including guys i went to school with and it's then the question is okay how many like how many guys were falling down these right-wing rabbit holes or getting into like the GamerGate stuff that was big. And that was definitely populated by a lot of younger men, guys my age, because um, it was like video game related. And that was just the thing that people were into and like the online spaces they inhabited. Maybe this like random 19 year old YouTuber that you watched if you're a 12 year old kid is talking about a, Uh, how evil feminists are and they're ruining video games. And that's something you care about. And so anyway, that's like the context that I kind of think about in the radicalization and like the turn towards the alt-right that I've just witnessed on the internet and then bringing it into the real world and realizing that this is just spreading an ideology that a lot of people have has been interesting and kind of hard. And obviously we have these very polarized times where there's a lot more conflicts around that or uh, a lot more pressure, a lot more um, just tension in the air. No one's disputing that. Um, And so I I think these things are definitely linked. Anyway, I'm already five minutes in and I haven't even gotten to reading this goddamn thing. I might cut out a lot of this beginning part, but maybe I said some good stuff but anyway i'm going to take a sip of my coffee and read i fell down the alt-right rabbit hole eventually i climbed my way out <sighs> okay this is by justin brown ramsey and the header at a time of personal confusion and pain in my life jordan peterson and the alt-right gave me direction and purpose i eventually realized that purpose was spreading a cruel anti-social world but not before I inflicted that cruelty on those around me. I can vividly remember my first public confrontation after having fallen into the alt-right pipeline. A transgender classmate at Augusta University spoke up during a class discussion, and I saw an opportunity. By this point in my life, untold hours of videos with titles like Woke Feminist Owned by Stoic Libertarian had trained me to pounce. Once called on, I launched into a tirade, repeatedly denouncing wokeness and attacks on Western civilization. What's hardest for me to recall now, though, is the cruelty I gleefully expressed towards my classmate. More than once, I made a point to purposefully refer to this peer as a woman, despite the fact that he had clearly stated his identity as a man and had surely suffered immensely along his life path towards that decision. Despite what she says, she's not a man, I told the class. When I finished, my classmate responded succinctly, it's he and you're an asshole. But in my mind, I'd done it. I had mounted a simultaneous attack on political correctness in defense of Western values. I had waded into the marketplace of ideas, done battle against progressivism, and that was all that mattered. More than anything, I was trying to emulate the man I'd grown to idolize, Dr. Jordan Peterson. Peterson's lure. My obsession with Peterson began in a seemingly non-ideological place. In the summer of 2015, my parents told my sister and me that their marriage was ending. As I grew up in a military evangelical household, my father often worked long hours or was deployed to other countries. When he was back, we lived under his rigid law. When he was gone, my mom was a church-grounded disciplinarian. I grew up to both fear God and the rod, attending Methodist and Baptist churches of my mother's choosing as we moved from military base to military base. From a young age, I heard stories at home and in the pews about the God-given roles for men, women, and children. I learned that the outside world contained countless temptations that we should, that should be avoided or challenged at all costs. We floated from congregation to congregation as we moved between military stations. I can't remember a time through high school and college when church or the military was out of the picture, with my family attending service twice on Sundays and once on Wednesdays. But all that religion wasn't enough to stop my parents' marriage from falling apart. At the same time, I discovered the online right-wing media sphere, known today as the intellectual dark web, the IDW. (laughs) Reacting to politically correct currents in academia and public life, figures like Peterson and Orbiters who had gained celebrity during the Gamergate episode... A vehemently anti-feminist, anti-wogue online campaign that started in the video game community, but soon spread far beyond it. Like Mark Meachan, Count Dankula, and Tim Pool saw a meteor- meteoric rise in popularity amongst, among a growing swath of disaffected, intellectually curious, but socially inept right-wing audiences. Few people then or today knew much about it, and maybe most who heard tell had no interest in learning more but I was one of the young men who, during Gamergate, glommed onto figures like Peterson. At the time, the University of Toronto psychology professor had publicly denounced Canada's Bill C-16, an amendment that would add discrimination based on gender identity and expression to the Canadian Human Rights Act's criminal code. According to Peterson, his opposition was rooted not in bigotry, but a belief in basic rights of free speech and anti-authoritarianism. While the university did not condone Peterson's charges, it never leveled formal disciplinary measures against him, he later resigned from his post of his own volition. Still, almost overnight, Peterson somehow successfully portrayed himself as a martyr for free speech, Western values, and men's issues. Feeling vulnerable and alone because of my parents' dissolving marriage, I decided to follow these preoccupations. Peterson offered me, at a time of personal strife, the kind of principled fatherly guidance and direction that had been absent in my life following my parents' divorce. During one particularly rough month in late 2018, for instance, Peterson's interviews and lectures gave me a a reprieve from my parents' chaotic post-divorce spats. Made to split my time between two homes and two lives, I felt that the only constant was the steady stream of advice and empathy that Peterson offered me via lectures and interviews on YouTube. In one standout interview, Peterson was asked why he was brought to weeping over the issues impacting men. His response, delivered through tears, hit home for me. According to Peterson, at the end of public speeches, college-aged men would approach him in droves to thank him for his advice. In Peterson's estimation, these men had been forgotten about. I agreed. I had been forgotten about. Something about his sincerity clicked. He spoke, as no others would or could, to my station, my concerns. Especially in those dark moments, Peterson felt present for me, ready to field my complaints and champion my value and future. He appealed to a growingly antisocial and pessimistic group of young men like me who were almost certain that a decades, even centuries-long culture war had debased the primacy and value of men's experiences. For this reason, I, and many other men like me, ate up Peterson's videos, articles, and books, and became deeply personally invested in niche micro-celebrities like him and the sense of catharsis they offered. Peterson's videos addressing his supposed martyrdom appeared to focus more on abstract principles of freedom of expression than overt misogyny or homophobia. The accoladed professor seemed interested in the ideas, not in the fake drama that I felt most characterized that characterized most politics at the time, I was hooked. Here, with perfect timing, was the father figure that I so dearly wanted and desperately found myself searching for. Down the rabbit hole. I worked through Peterson and Co.'s back catalog of videos as YouTube suggested more alt-right clips for me to watch. In one case, the algorithm recommended that I watch a podcast interview from the channel H3H3. Its hosts, Ethan and Hilick, Hila Klein, who brushed with courting all-right fans, but to whom I had been subscribed to for their non-political content, had Peterson on their show in 2017. They have since removed the episode after their public shift from center-right towards more left-leaning interviewees like Hassan Piker. Peterson's numerous appearances on Joe Rogan's podcast were next. Soon, almost all the videos I watched, podcasts I listened to, online forums I frequented, and books I read were shot through with the right-wing ideology guiding not just my thinking, but my actions in the digital world and everyday life. I repeatedly found myself interjecting at work, in class, and in comment sections online, playing my part as the self-appointed reactionary devil's advocate. My interventions weren't always in person, like my misgendering episode in class. Many of them unfolded in the venue where I felt most comfortable, online. In one prolonged episode, I remember arguing in the comment section, using an anonymous account under a YouTube video about the hashtag MeToo movement's progress in 2019. For longer than a week, I antagonized what I deemed to be woke commenters who posted their support for the movement. Seeing Peterson's interactions with feminists and women in general as a guide on on how to interact with progressive arguments, I checked in daily to refute and debunk all the flack that I was getting for bringing vitriol into the discussion. Another time, I spent an afternoon at work berating a coworker who celebrated our, employee, our employer's weekly practice of donating soon-to-expire food to soup kitchens and homeless pantries in the area. Having recently watched a video of Peterson denouncing such activism, I repeated the pull-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps narrative that online conservatism encouraged. I was convinced that poor and homeless families in the area and across the country were in precarious situations due to their own lack of responsibility. A belief that had been in incubated in me implicitly by Peterson's self-help book, 12 Rules for Life, an Antidote to Chaos, which espoused individualism in practice. It's a common enough argument on the right, but I'm struck at how needlessly cruel it is in suggesting that fellow human beings seeking life's most basic necessity, food, should be desi- should be denied it. I'd become needlessly disruptive and antisocial, launching into vitriolic arguments with those around me. My personal life suffered greatly. During this period, I distanced myself from family and close friends who I suspected of wokeness. I lashed out at anyone, friends, families, partners who wasn't part of the alt right or alt right sympathetic bubble that I would destruct i discovered and constructed around myself. I shut down discussions with friends of color who tried to convince me that racism was a problem. None of their stories of discrimination or marginalization, not even those stories of encounters with police or mistreatment by teachers or manager, or managers who we all know personally swayed me. I was certain that these were stories from people wedded to make excuses for their lot in life. Transgender friends steered clear, steered clear of me because of my comments. My intolerance was not limited to screens. I was driving people away from me in the real world. Turning Around Flash forward to the spring of 2019, the end of my third year at Augusta. I'd remained on a steady diet of Peterson's content. He uploaded more lectures, appeared on more programs, and continued promoting his self-help book to wider audiences. I, meanwhile, became more seriously devoted to my studies while also reading and watching more from Peterson including his first book, Maps of Meaning, the Architecture of Belief. At this point, I even began dabbling with sites like 4chan, where I identified with the post-ironic right-wing meme figure Pepe the Frog. I was probably on track to become, if not an active member of a far-right group like the Proud Boys or Three Percenters, at least a strong sympathizer. I was headed down that path when, as a part of my college's English program, I had to take courses on African-American literature Shakespeare, and book history and print culture. The course on African American literature covered familiar canonical names Phyllis Wheatley, Frederick Douglass, Paul Lawrence Dunbar, Zora Neale Hurston, W.E.B. Du Bois, James Baldwin, Toni Morrison, and more. Here, for what seemed like the first time since I discovered Peterson, I was tasked with a true liberal education including hearing out and engaging with the plights and imaginations of people who saw their most basic rights suppressed. The defining feature of the course was the insistence of the professor that we ought to reflect upon our own position relative to the texts and their authors. I found this exercise to be deeply uncomfortable. Practicing self-reflection in the presence of a black professor and a social justice-oriented group of peers was not something I did often. It was Frederick Douglass's narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass, an American slave, that helped me embrace the discomfort necessary for change, mainly by way of tackling the text with with my peers in class. Douglass was a figure whose name I had heard often, but whose story I hadn't read in full by that point, which, in retrospect, seems like part of the problem behind the ease with which I fell down the alt-right rabbit hole. The narrative turned a mirror onto me, and an upsetting detail showed me that my inclination towards antagonizing those who looked, acted, or believed differently than myself was the self-same attitude, albeit less severe in a century later, that led to Douglass' dehumanization. Douglass' text confronted another core tenet that fueled my beliefs, the notion that I was the victim— Until this point, I'd convinced myself, by spending days consuming all kinds of all-right propaganda, that I occupied a position at the bottom rung of the social ladder, which led me to justify my bigoted thoughts and actions. In truth, the narrative showed me that the opposite was true, historically speaking. Not only that, but also that I could and should use my station for good. Douglas et al. were, in some sense counting on sympathetic readers to aid in making their world better rather than wallow in the individualistic, self-made vision of the world that I'd built up because of thinkers like Peterson. In assigning the book and asking us to discuss it or read it out loud in class, the professor, in my mind, was harsh but ultimately fair in his methodology. By challenging me and my peers to address our preconceptions of the world, he helped us grow to see the parallels between our moment and the past while also considering how our thoughts and actions inevitably inevitably create or prevent the creation of the kinds of institutions that led to Douglass's tribulations in the first place. More than anything, this professor recognized the importance of taking us to task to learn and grow, rather than to put us down and keep us there. To that point, I had not encountered such patience or responsibility from the likes of Peterson at all. In a class I took with another professor, History wasn't merely shaped by the whims of powerful men who looked, acted, or believed as I did. I was again, I was again encouraged to contemplate the lives and experiences of everyday people, downtrodden people, people on the margins, people who had lives far harder than mine, yet lived lives worth learning from. One of the standout examples of, of this professor's influence on my thinking was her acquired reading of Carlos Ginsberg's The Cheese and the Worms. The text follows Minocchio, a 16th century Italian miller and peasant, as he faces charges of blasphemy levied by the Roman Catholic Church. Ginsberg's historical storytelling and the professor's insistence on allowing the little guy to speak through time helped me see the history from new angles. The idea that I could, as a part of a collective group of people, make or shape history was a revelation. Quite quickly, Peterson's stories about the primacy of individualistic and powerful men, as well as his insistence that people like me were being displaced in society, left my thinking almost entirely. In being made to encounter discomforting media and eventually, in seeking it out to challenge my own views, I developed a new understanding of my own beliefs and how they were shaped. This changing worldview prompted a change in the YouTube, Twitter, and Reddit algorithms feeding me new ideas. Much has been made of in recent years of the role these algorithms have played in guiding angry young men into the open arms of the right. That was certainly true for me, but those same algorithms steered me in in another direction when I was ready. I watched a debate on YouTube between Peterson and the Marxist philosopher Slavov Zizek. The first thing I remember thinking about the video was that it couldn't have been a better visual juxtaposition of ideology and charisma. Jizek was slouched and slobbish. Peterson was well-dressed, far more consistent in his cadence, and reliant upon what I thought was a more developed vocabulary. But once the debate began, my impression of the two men flipped. I saw the artifice of my stand-in father crumble before the arguably simple procession of facts and sporadic rhetoric that that characterized the goofy leftist's arguments. That Peterson hadn't even bothered to read Marx's Communist Manifesto before the debate, despite carrying himself as well-read and always informed, was a revealing admission, I remember thinking. This video is one of the many that would come to demolish my perception of Peterson as a figure worth emulating. The recommended tab, and by extension, the algorithm as a whole, apparently influenced by my rare jaunt to something other than an antisocial and academized... Academized, academyized version of racism, transphobia, or elitism, slowly introduced me to Cornell West. Like Zizek, West prevents himself as an opposite to Peterson. Though both figures are engaging orators, West's articulation of history, theory, and politics was incredibly compelling to me. In contrast to Peterson's sternness, West brought a deep sense of warmth and caring to his message. West also has an ability to challenge his audience to dig deeper, making his intellectual work feel accessible and relatable. For me, this helped break the spell of the Petersonian worldview I'd concocted. Whereas Peterson et al. never once encouraged me to take my politics to the streets in a way that made my life better, these new thinkers were always touting the importance of making politics less about online appearances and more about in-person action. I decided to take their suggestions and became active in real-world politics. As a result of the progressive show and podcast, the Majority Report's coverage of the Kellogg workers' strike in 2021, as an example, I made a vow to be a part of a union when I entered my PhD program, a promise I've kept, joining with the Boston College Graduate Employees Union as soon as I could, and I made a concerted effort to be involved with the Democratic Socialists of America, In other words, I've become everything Jordan Peterson has spent his career trying to destroy. Learning for a Better World When I look back at my sojourn on the alt-right, I feel the need to talk about it. For at least four years, I spent my time learning how to be bigoted and antagonistic. My insecurities and prejudices were fostered and accepted by a group of alt-right figureheads, especially Peterson, something I desperately needed in my life. I was guaranteed community with people who were just as jaded and antisocial as myself. But that train led nowhere fast. The right-wing rabbit hole took me to places I now deeply regret. Ultimately, what pulled me away from the terminally online alt-right was left-leaning spheres of content and engagement that helped keep me challenged and informed when I was not in the classroom or library. Undeniably, I would not have moved leftward, at least not as quickly, had it not been for my liberal arts education. Unlike online spaces, where I curated the information that I wanted to see, and the algorithm fed me more of the same bigoted, hateful content, college was perhaps the first time I was required to engage with media outside my usual diet. There, I read, watched, and listened to stories from people who could not have further afield field for me in their appearances, nationalities, beliefs, and so on. And reflecting on the impact that the liberal arts education had and continues to have on me, I realize why the right, including Peterson to this day, is so hell-bent on dismantling liberal arts education. Without being exposed to people and media from disparate places, I would have been allowed to let yet another facet of my life become consumed by my disgusting fascination with the antisocial content pumped out by the likes of Peterson, Tim Pool, and Ben Shapiro. From my experience, once you get a taste of learning, genuine complicated wrestling with philosophies and histories different from your own it's hard to leave it and its lessons behind because the right-wing saturation of platforms like YouTube was so central in my becoming a reactionary i believe that creating a competing left-wing presence in online spaces should be a priority for the left currently conservatives enjoy a nearly unchallenged role in grabbing young men who very well who may very well be supportive of progressive movements whose lack of community drives them away from collective politicking, this needs to change. Leftists shouldn't view sites like YouTube, Twitter, and Reddit as implacable strongholds for the right. Social media and online platforms need to be viewed as battlegrounds. Leftists can win on them. Secondly, and perhaps more importantly, we need to treat the severely online individuals and groups as approachable. While I do not think that good left-wing media alone would have changed my thinking, at least not in a short time, having videos, books, podcasts, and shows in the wings when I eventually got called out in the real world meant that when I was ready to embrace the curiosity that eventually led me out of the conservative thinking, resources were waiting for me. If my story has indicated anything, it is that there are swaths of politically curious people out there who, with some time, can be turned onto a path of self-discovery that promotes a better world. The left should be producing politically informed media as paramount to capturing the minds of people who, without intervention, may very well wander down the alt-right pipeline. If this is done, we can prevent people from losing friends, family, and even themselves to harmful ideologies and grow our movement in the process. If not, that path looks a lot darker. Trust me, I've been there. All right. Well, that was kind of interesting. Um I definitely enjoyed reading that and kind of just made me think along the way. It was an interesting experience reading it aloud for the first time, Um, especially recording it like this, but it just caught my eye and it's kind of pointing out a lot of things that I think about and I talk about sometimes, but it's hard to like encapsulate. And so... I kind of like this opportunity to just comment on another piece of work and uh, hopefully I read it all right. Um, but yeah, the, <laughs> it definitely kind of made me laugh when it got to the point where he's now a grad student, a PhD in history, um, which like it, it just, uh, it, it makes sense. Like, I'm not trying to dispute this guy's own story and his own conception of himself, um, but and I'm I applaud him for just like sharing that and kind of owning up to things that he feels regret about and um, sharing the way that his views of the world changed because I think that is an amazing thing. It's like I think people can change their minds and people can have room for uh, continued growth and learning and also just how much so many harmful viewpoints can come from from other hurt or other insecurities and the way that uh yeah like this guy said actually engaging with different ideas and having to defend your beliefs like is such a huge thing and I wish there was more of it in this world. Like that's why I kind of laugh though. Cause this guy's like going into a PhD program, grew up in a military family, evangelical conservative military family. Like it's, it's not that the internet Cast some magical spell on him that made it so he just randomly fell into like Jordan Peterson, all right stuff. And that's not to blame this guy, like, that's probably just based on the values that his parents instilled with him and were expected in his house. And, um, but I just say that because this isn't like, I just, uh, I don't know the way that, like, especially the right wing talks about ingesting media and so much like brainwashing and stuff. I, I get really wary about prescribing like massive importance to media specifically. Like in a lot of ways, it feels like that's all we can do. I mean, that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm just making stuff on my own. Cause that's a, a place where I can share what's on my mind and social media is obviously important. And but putting your attention in different places will have different effects as this, uh, story shows, but it's not like this outright rabbit hole was just something that this guy slipped and fell into. And that's nothing against this guy. Like it makes sense that those were the beliefs that he kind of held on to And those were his values that he was trying to hold this fantasy of. And Jordan Peterson kind of filled that hole. Um, but I just say that because, like, my difference is like, when I interacted with this stuff when I was a kid, it, like, to me, it was pretty obvious. It was just, like, crappy, and I didn't like it, and sexist, and, and that's not to say, look at me, I'm so amazing. Mostly, that comes from me coming from, like, a pretty liberal, progressive family um, with a faith tradition that really focuses on peacemaking and community and love and, uh, the worth of all persons and having just like those values taught to me in a way that I understand why they are the way they are. And, um, I feel like I've always had a pretty good, pretty good grasp of, thinking deeply about what I believe in and what I want to stand up for. And I haven't always had the greatest grasp on acting on it. And so like this, I think that was a pretty cool excerpt is this guy talking about the ways that he was inspired by this media to engage. And that is like super important. And obviously media has its place and has its importance. Um, But yeah, anyway, I'm really glad this guy, um, was so vulnerable and shared things that he had done that he wasn't proud of and that uh had hurt people. Um I don't know that I fully like agree with him maybe on the importance of online media cuz that's a thing. Like there is left wing online media and there are these spaces but also at a certain point like left wing media is never going to get the same level of interaction or advertisement just in our society in our more capitalist uh, system like it's not just that the left is this thing that can do stuff um it's just kind of um very nebulous and it's just a lot of people with a lot of different beliefs that kind of come together um but yeah so his plea of like The left needs to increase media or whatever. I don't really know what the, who does that or like how it's decided. Um, And maybe it's important, but I don't know. That just makes me think. And, uh, but that's all right. Cause that's the cool thing about reading is you get to think and uh, okay. I'm so tired and my mouth is so dry. Hopefully you like these thoughts And if not, well, oh, well, thanks for listening to them for 35 minutes, you silly weirdo. Um, But that's all right. I'm a silly weirdo, too. Uh, Take it easy. Bye.